0: going through all the music. I had a good sermon laying up here, and only the Lord knows where it is right now. It, gets, it worries me when I see I'm moving things around up here. I told Mike, I said, don't lose my sermon. He said, I'm going to sing it when I get up there. But anyway, thank you so much. If you brought your Bibles, turn to... Hebrews chapter 9, a familiar passage. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, another familiar passage. We want to look at these two. Hebrews chapter 9. I use this passage at a a funeral. You hear this oftentimes at funerals, and I want to use the the A part. Hebrews chapter 9, and we want to look at verse 27. And then we'll look at 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. And uh, verse 13 and following. But Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27. Hebrews 9 verse 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. It is appointed unto men once to die. Then 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll look at verse 13. Familiar passage? Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. What is the most difficult problem that you're facing today? What is the most difficult problem that you're facing it may be a problem with your marriage. Maybe may be a problem with your job. Maybe may be a problem with your finances. A lady came by the church this week. And she needed some gas money. She had a job, but she just couldn't get there. So we ministered to her, drove up to the Chevron, And we made sure she had gas fuel to get to work. Maybe a problem with your finances. Maybe a problem with your children. Maybe a problem with your grandchildren. Maybe a problem with your health. Or perhaps the health of someone in your family. So what is the most difficult problem that you and I face today? The answer may surprise you. None of the above. The most difficult problem that we face today is death. Death is the most difficult problem that anyone will face. Now people don't like to talk about death. They don't like to hear hear sermons about death. But man is the only creature that God created that knows he's going to die. But yet at the same time, he does everything to ignore the fact and to escape the reality of death. Many people today, they don't like to even discuss the topic. Many today refuse to visit funeral homes. Many today refuse to attend funerals. At a funeral this week, person wouldn't come into the to the lobby. I mean, to the to the chapel to sit with the with his family. Stayed out in the hallway. They won't visit funeral homes. They won't attend funerals. Many will not even assist with a funeral. Some refuse to even visit cemeteries even at homecomings, decorations. But friend, listen, regardless how much we try to avoid death, the fact remains that one out of one die. And unless the Lord Jesus comes prior, you and I are going to die. That fact alone should cause us to want to have a knowledge of death and not be ignorant about it. So Paul uses the word in verse 13. Notice what he says, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. He says, I I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. I don't want you to be ignorant. Agnios, the word. The the word literally means a no not. A no not. a, A failing to understand. I don't want you to be ignorant about it. You see, when you're ignorant, you don't know. When you're ignorant, you don't understand. You may be ignorant, perhaps the subject in question has never been explained and that brings about the ignorance. Or perhaps the subject's been explained and you just say, hey, you just refuse to accept it. And when you refuse to accept the truth about it, you remain ignorant. The result is that you act ignorant, you speak ignorant, and you die ignorant. That's what Paul was saying here. Paul says in verse 13, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who are asleep. I don't want you to be ignorant about those who are asleep. He uses the word asleep. Easy little word to remember. It's spelled in, 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 in the Greek uh, H-O. It's pronounced just O. Asleep. And it literally means dead. I don't want you to be ignorant about those who are dead. Literally without sensation. When you're asleep, there's no sensation. When you're dead, there's no sensation. Paul, is he's not teaching soul sleep. That's the point. He's not teaching about soul sleep. You see, the word cemetery means a sleeping place. This is a sleeping place down here. It's where the body is placed to rest. They are laid to rest. Now the body is, but the not. See? So, remember the body is put in the grave... And the believer's body is put in the grave but the soul of the believer is wide awake and it goes to be with the Lord and it awaits for a bodily resurrection. But the soul's not asleep. The body is at rest down here in the cemetery, a sleeping place. Now likewise for the unbeliever, the body is asleep, dead, But the soul immediately, as the Christian, departs from this dead body and it goes to its eternal abode. And for the unbeliever, it goes to a place called hell and it waits for its bodily resurrection in order to stand before God at the great white throne judgment. So you have sleeping bodies of the dead, sleeping bodies of the believer and the non-believer, and souls, either in heaven or hell, waiting for a bodily resurrection. Now, the believer in Thessalonica were ignorant concerning those that were dead. They were acting ignorant. Now, the way they were acting ignorant was the way they were Grieving. Now, how were they grieving? Look at verse thirteen. He says, "I wouldn't have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not." Here's how they were acting, even as others which have no hope. Now, the reason they were acting, uh, reason they were acting like those that had no hope, is because they were ignorant concerning death. So Paul says, "Listen, I want to I want to share with you." Now, how were they acting? Well, they were grieving as others which have no hope. They were grieving like the Gentiles. You see, the Gentiles had no concept of the resurrection, they only had a concept of the Spirit being eternal, but not the body. So the Gentiles had no hope of a better life after this life. I mean, is this the best there is? It is here. But they had no hope whatsoever of a better life after they left this life. But 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. In other words, as a Christian, my hope in Christ is not in this life only. If, it, if it was, my hope in Christ was just in this life, I would be a very miserable person. But he goes on to say, but my hope in Christ is the life after this life. And the Bible refers to that as eternal life. My hope in Christ is here. Yes, while I'm here, Christ helps me, Christ guides me, the Holy Spirit leads me. But when I die, I have a hope. My hope, assurance, is in eternal life. So now in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul informs these these Thessalonian believers and he informs us too that there's a difference between a believer and a non-believer when it comes to death and resurrection. First of all, there's a difference between hope and no hope. Look at verse 13. He says, "...that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope." Now, when someone dies, death brings sorrow. I mean, we grieve. Christians grieve. Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus. We grieve. We weep. God's given us tears. It's kind of, kind of neat. Tears, are, uh, you know, they have significance physically in that they wash out our eyes and keep the dirt out of our eyes and You get something in your eye, you can pull your eyelid out and your tears will wash out what's in your eye. But they also are spiritually significant. Because when we can't explain how we feel in our heart with just simple words, our tears come forth. You wonder why you cry? You just can't say nothing? Well, you're saying it in tears. When you don't have the words to share how you feel, God's given us tears. So we can we can truthfully say, you know, as a Christian, I sorrow. But my sorrow is tempered by the promises of God. I don't sorrow like those who have no hope. Because my sorrow is tempered, because I know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. It's tempered by the promise of God that He's with me. Our sorrow is tempered by the assurance of things better to come. I cry, I weep. But I don't weep like a lost person because I know Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That sorrow is tempered by the promise, knowing that there's something better for me beyond this life. And then my sorrow is tempered because the loved ones, our loved ones go to heaven when they die, if they're saved. And we can truthfully say, knowing that husband or wife or that child or that parent or that friend, we can truthfully say, knowing their testimony, knowing they had known the Lord, knowing they had been saved, we can truthfully say that our family member is in heaven. Truthfully say The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body, but present with the Lord. I have funerals, and there's no no testimony whatsoever in that person's life prior to death that they'd ever accepted Christ, and I'll hear a family member or a friend saying he's in a better place. He's looking down on us. But sorrow for the Christian is tempered because they can truthfully say, No, that my loved one is in heaven. Our sorrow is tempered because we can see them again and we know that. So there's a difference between hope and no hope. And then, secondly, there's a difference between believing and not believing. Look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. If we believe, that's Christian belief, that's salvation belief, that's putting your faith and trust in Christ belief. Belief is a fundamental um, tenet of Christianity. That's how we're saved. We believe. We believe that Christ came, Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose again, Christ is coming again. We believe that. We trust Him. We ask Him to forgive us, come into our life and save us. So belief is a fundamental tenet of Christianity. The belief that Christ rose from the dead. You see, faith in Jesus is more than just an intellectual agreement. Um, Faith in Christ is first a personal relationship with Him It's knowing Jesus Not just the facts about Jesus Knowing Him James 2.19 says Even the devils believe and tremble If anybody believes in Jesus, the devil does I mean, the devil was there at his birth The devil was there you know, uh, when he was crucified, when he was buried, when he was resurrected, when he ascended. If anyone believes in Jesus, the devil does because he's—you know he, he was there, but he's not saved because it's not a salvation belief. It's, a, it's an intellectual belief. But faith in Christ is about a personal relationship. And then faith in Christ is about a lordship. You see, the question today is not, is Jesus Lord? I mean, that's resolved. Philippians chapter 2, very obvious, says and declares that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so whether we agree He's Lord or not doesn't, doesn't negate the fact that He's Lord. But the question is, have you submitted to His Lordship? Well, I don't believe in the Lordship. Or why? Jesus taught it. What is lordship? It's obedience. That's why Jesus said, Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? reason you don't believe in it, you don't do what he says to I mean, let's get real. And so salvation is a relationship... Slash Lordship. And that's why Christ said, why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say. So simply put, where I can understand it, if I'm my own boss, I'm either lost or backslidden. He wants to have control of our lives. The hardest thing for us to do is to submit to that. But one day, every knee will drop, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You may not confess it or practice it in your life now, but one day you will confess that, my friend, based on God's Word. Romans 10 verse 9 verifies it even more. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that Christ has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Confessing what? Confessing Jesus Christ is my Lord. You see, it's not just Jesus Christ is my Savior, but He is my Lord and Savior. So there's a difference between hope and no hope, verse 13. There's a difference between believing and not believing. And then I'll close with this. There's a difference between the first and the second resurrection. Look at verse 16, chapter 4. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead shall rise first. First resurrection. going to be two resurrections. Two groups of people, lost Saved, buried out here in the cemetery. It's going to be a resurrection. First resurrection is going to be the believer. The dead in Christ, verse 16, they will rise first. Notice what else happens. Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together to be with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so there's, they're going to be called up, those that are alive, Paul said he felt like he's going to be alive then. He said, "Dead's going to rise first, then we which are alive and remain, we're going to be caught up. The word caught up is where we get the word rapture, harpazo, rapture, snatched away. So the believer is going to be caught up. And then we're going to have glorified bodies. I mean, our bodies are going to be like unto Christ. So one day there's going to be a resurrection of the dead and there's going to be a translation of the living and both will be snatched away. Resurrection, if you're dead as a believer, first. And then translation, if you're alive, you're going to be made like him. Now you can call it caught up, you can call it snatched, you can call it raptured, where we get the the English word rapture comes from the Latin word rapture. You can just call it gone. They're going to be carried away. That's the first resurrection referred to in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Listen. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Then secondly, there's going to be another resurrection. Remember those unbelievers? They're going to be raised. Remember where their soul is? That soul is in hell. It's waiting for a resurrection of a body in a cemetery. It's going to be resurrected too. According to Revelation 20 verse 7, the next verse says this, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan will be loosed out of his prison, and he shall go out to see the nations... The four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for battle. And the number of them, of number of whom is the sand of the sea. And they went up to the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire, brimstone, which the beast and the false prophets are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and forever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, the small, and the great stand before God, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead, which was in it, Death and hell delivered up the uh, uh, dead which were in them. They were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's the second resurrection. Now, occurs a thousand years after the first. Resurrection of unbeliever bodies. Great white throne judgment. A second death. So there's a difference between hope and no hope. There's a difference between believing and not believing. There's a difference between the first and second resurrection. And faith in Jesus is what makes the difference. Now, here's here's the whole point. I'll close with this. You and I today, as of today cannot claim ignorance anymore. Paul says, don't be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. So we're not ignorant now. We know that we're going to die. My body's going to be buried. My soul's going to depart at death. As a Christian, I'm going to be with the Lord in heaven. As an unbeliever, your, your spirit is going to be in a place called hell. Hell. My body is going to be placed at rest down, well, in Russellville. It's going to be buried. It's going to wait for a resurrection. And the first is the snatching away. The second is after that thousand years, Revelation chapter 20, verse 7 through 15. If that's the truth. 1 Thessalonians four thirteen through 18. And we're not ignorant anymore. Now, you say, well, Brother Samuel, I believe I can handle death. I really do. I believe I I can handle death. Well, you may not be concerned about the A part of Hebrews 9, verse 27. For it's appointed unto man once to die. But there's a B part. But after this, the judgment. And without Jesus Christ, there's no hope in there. So the question today, beautiful day God's blessed us with, have you trusted Christ to be your Lord and your Savior? You can settle that fear of death today. You say, well, I'm a guest here. We're not talking about being a member of Mountain View Baptist Church. We're talking about having victory over sin and over death and over the grave. That's found only in Christ. What road are you on today? You say, Brother Sam, what are you talking about? Well, are you, are you trying to live a moral road to get to heaven? Are you trying to live a religious road? Well, a young ruler came to Jesus, and, and Jesus reminded him about the commandments. He said, well, I've done them since my youth up. He was on a moral road. And then Saul of Tarsus, he was on the religious road. Now, he knew the Scripture. He, he was a Pharisee above all Pharisees. But you see that thief on that cross? He was on the Lord Jesus' road. He looked to Christ and he said, Lord, what do he do? Confessed him as Lord. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Would you be willing to say that today? Would you be willing based on what you believe in your heart, confess the Lord with your mouth. Ask Him to forgive you, come into your life and save you. Give Him the place that He deserves to be in your life. Number one. And then when death comes, you don't have to fear death anymore. You understand it. Not ignorant no more. So we go on and we live here. When the Lord calls us home, we go home. But until then, we'll do what He left us here to do. Let's bow our heads for prayer.